Hello again, everyone. You are listening to The Leaves of a Victim Nevermore with Stephen Wilson. I am Stephen Wilson, and I am a victim of childhood sex abuse, and I am a drug user. This podcast is intended for people who identify as a victim of abuse or deal with addiction. Today's reading excuse me, comes from Thomas Merton's No Man is an Island. A happiness that is sought for ourselves alone can never be found. For a happiness that is diminished by being shared is not big enough to make us happy. There is a false and momentary happiness in self-satisfaction, but it always leads to sorrow because it narrows and deadens our spirit. True happiness is found in unselfish love, a love which increases in proportion as it is shared. There is no end to the sharing of love, and therefore the potential happiness of such love is without limit. Infinite sharing is the law of God's inner life. He has made the sharing of ourselves the law of our own being. So that it is loving others that we best love ourselves. In disinterested activity, we best fulfill our own capacities to act and to be. Yet there can, be, there can never be happiness in compulsion. It is not enough for love to be shared. It must be shared freely. That is to say, it must be given, not merely taken. Unselfish love that is poured out upon a selfish object does not bring perfect happiness, not because love requires a certain return or reward for loving, but because it rests in happiness of the beloved. And if the one loved receives love selfishly, the lover is not satisfied. He sees that his love has failed to make the beloved happy. It has not awakened his capacity for unselfish love. Hence the paradox that unselfish love cannot rest perfectly except in a love that is perfectly reciprocated because it knows that the only true peace is found in selfless love. Selfless love consents to be loved selflessly for the sake of the beloved. In so doing, it perfects itself. The gift of love is the gift of the power and the capacity to love. And therefore, to give love with full effect is also to receive it. So love can only be kept by giving away. It can only be given perfectly when it is also received. That is taken from Thomas Merton's No Man is an Island. Uh, today's podcast, uh, again, is going to be dealing with uh, those things that took place in our weekly group session. I attend a men's group. It is um, adult survivors of childhood sex abuse. The life of an addict, the junkie two-step. 
In the absence of X, the human will suffer great pain until X returns or is replaced by something that is equal to or greater than X. X is fill in the blank. Escapism, if you want to. This past week, the men's group I am in once again went into dealing with the world as a victim of childhood sex abuse and the residual knowledge of people knowing that we attend group therapy. Just about every guy talked over the proverbial kid gloves used by family and friend. There are only two in the group that live with people of doubt. I will not talk about that here during this episode. But I found it a bit strange that every guy in the group talked about the differential, how they were treated before and how they're treated now. During this session, we each spoke about the life of an adult who suffered some sex abuse as a child and then the open secret of being a victim and then being a victim of sex abuse that attends therapy for said trauma caused by the sex abuse. Now our life is already hard, but other, but other humans make it harder on purpose or not. I personally do not expect anything from people, so I'm never disappointed. I know that makes me a cynic, but there is safety there. I know these outsiders will never and can never understand what we went through and I don't want them to, but their pity towards us is as close to a relationship as we can get. So one has to contemplate again the secret we kept as children might substantially help our adult life if we kept it intact. It may be better if people don't know what happened to us. But keeping a secret is labor intensive. It is no joke. If you have followed this podcast since the beginning, I believe I have shared on more than one occasion my own personal story about living a double and triple life. So here, I listen to everyone and sound off about the summer of social being during a pandemic and post hoc pandemic. And I thought about my Uncle Hogan and his library in Island Lake. For two years, my junior and senior year in high school, we spent discussing philosophy, mathematics, aeronautics, engineering, architecture, construction, etc. But in philosophy, Aristotle played a starring role. Uncle Hogan never said it in such terms, but it was obvious that he had favorites, and Aristotle was one of them. Now, Aristotle spoke on many things, but this past session made me revisit Aristotle's approach and thoughts on friendships, the human condition in ethical fishnet stockings. According to Aristotle, there are many roles we play as friends, but the perfect life is one wherein we wish our friend the very best for the sake of our friend. If any translation is needed, basically we want our friend to be happy. In Aristotle, happiness is virtue, and virtue is key to the perfect life. Now Aristotle makes it clear that this kind of life is only afforded just a few, few people, a few of us in our society. Now, Aristotle gets much more complicated than that. And quite frankly, uh, especially compared to Plato, uh, Aristotle is quite boring to read. 
but for the sake of this podcast, I, that's going to have to suffice. After all, remember, dear friends, I am not trying or interested to be your teacher. Hat tip, Uncle Hogan. You see, Aristotle spoke in great length about ethics, Nicomachean and Eudaimonian. It is the latter that I thought of during this group session because each player in the group used themselves as their own metric. I knew those around them would be deemed by each player as a problem, inadequate or weak. Or at least that was my interpretation of their statements during the session. The failure of those family members and friends trying or at least pretending to reconcile that the man standing before them as a victim of sex abuse and also somebody in group therapy for me was to be expected. As I said, I know people will disappoint me. Even if they don't, I chalk it up to anomaly or fluke. Again, each player was looking for something they themselves cannot deliver because a perfect life should have perfect friendship. Now Aristotle, he was not projecting upon the humans some otherworldly pathology or godlike demeanor. Virtue for Aristotle is based on his thoughts on equality. And unfortunately, Aristotle defines a term using that term, not to confuse, but to make it irreducible to its purest form. If you want to, Aristotle didn't want you interpreting what he had to say. Before someone had become your friend, there must be a mutualism at multiple points of articulation. This commonality makes friendship real. Again, you want what is best for your friend, for your friend's sake. This lends itself to a teleos, or a perfect outcome. Because if you have friends and they are happy, then they must be living a virtuous life. And if they are your friends and they are virtuous, then that must mean you yourself are living the perfect life. If they're virtuous, then you're virtuous. Think of it like this. Fire can warm when it is cold, but in the same way, fire can destroy your house. The fire itself is not malicious or altruistic. Rather, it is simply a functionary of the human. We have something in our life that can make life more enjoyable, more tolerable, but we also have something in our life that if it gets out of control, can end this life or the life of others. Aristotle noted that non-human creatures do not have this temperament. Humans have intellectual virtue, which is artistic talent, innovation talent, physical talent, beauty, etc. Those things basically that we're born with. Humans also have habitual virtue, which is acquired through training. Think of a child being told not to touch a hot stove. The parent or teacher may do this for the sake of control over the child, or they may have heartfelt concern for the safety of the child, but the result is the same. The child does not touch the hot stove, therefore the child does not get burned. The parent or teacher, they have arrived at their own teleos because of their action, and they are not concerned how they got there. But Aristotle concerns himself with why we act a certain way, especially if we have multiplicity from which to choose. Now, each guy in the group did a critique of family and friends during a picnic or barbecue or vacation, something that summers are filled with. Their assessment afforded them a view of them, 
of their family and friends that they had not seen before. And I found that a bit strange because some of them talked as if they just woke up and found out that they had family and friends. But I won't go into that part. According to the guys in the group, topics to be avoided when in the company of a victim of childhood sex abuse, the abuse itself, children, toys, relationships, including dating and marriage, having children, going to a wedding or a baby shower, psychology, psychiatry, psych medicine, hospitalization, suicide, law, American judicial, and incarceration. And this list lends itself to topics brought up to our daily newsreel. In America, that means a 24-7 news cycle blowout. But this list also includes social media, whether you're in or you're out. So you might be asking yourself, what do you talk about to a victim of childhood sex abuse if you know they are a victim? The weather? Safe bet unless it's raining. Tongue-in-cheek. Because for us, it's always raining. Yes, I try to stay away from generalizations, but I said it anyway. Can you really tell a junkie or an addict to just stop using? Sure, you can try. Parents and family members have been doing it for decades. But what happens when you enable their use? Do you take the blame for their next bender? Do you drive them to the hospital or drug rehabilitation center? Do you sit in the common during the next court appearance? Do you use telepathy and apologize not only to the judge but to that person and say I'm sorry over and over and over? If a family member reaches out to a victim and says something like, I want to understand you, can you please share what happened? If the victim is strong and ready, then yes. But when outed by a failed suicide attempt or hospitalization or drug rehabilitation stay, then no. We're not built that way. We kept it a secret for a reason. Every user, every addict must own what they do and why. I'm not saying that why is easy, but it must be addressed much more than any other 800-pound elephant in the room. That is why we are in therapy, or theoretical to find happiness in a world that does not want us around to remind them of what some adults do to children when the lights are off, when they have places of authority, when they get us alone, when they have an itch. Because we are the proof, no pudding needed. So when you contact me and demand or ask or float the idea of me going back to drug rehab, I must dismiss you immediately. I am not concerned how genuine your feelings are. Perhaps you really do believe that every suicide can be avoided. Perhaps you really do believe that sober is viable regardless of the construct. I do not know your motivation, and according to Aristotle, you categorize me with what appears to be my essential defining characteristic, my drug use. Instead of dealing with the reason I use drugs, you deal with the low-hanging fruit, the addiction. It is measurable, it is seen, it is real as opposed to the rape, which is in the past, out of sight, out of mind. And Aristotle was not concerned with things unreal, and you are not either. You want me clean and sober for your sake, not mine. If you dealt with my addiction, then you would have to engage the causation, the rape, and besides the staff at St. Mary's, no one outside the group has even tried, and I don't blame them any more than I blame you.
you can't see the world my way, so you see it your way and project upon me your discipline and self-control. Here I feel pity for you, as you have gone angel to deal with a demon, because that's what I really am. I appreciate your words of encouragement. I will keep fighting each day as long as there is strength in me, but you cannot force me to live. You cannot force me to live your way. So if in time I leave on my own terms, if I leave my way, don't you dare cry and don't complain about it being a waste of talent. We all escape. We have sex with strangers. We jump out of a perfectly good plane for the gentleman rush. We send a bike over a hill, 20 feet in the air. We go to a club, we go to a bar, we put on makeup, we put on a costume. We close our eyes and listen to our favorite song 30 times on repeat. We pretend we're the ones singing. We pretend we're the ones on drums. We all escape. But dealing with the reason why we escape, that's something that you could spend a whole lifetime trying to deal with. And I can tell you that it does not get any easier. Well, that's all I have for now. I know maybe that was a bit of a gut punch. But that's the way that I feel. Well, I hope you have a good weekend it's coming up in a few days. So you've been listening to the podcast, The Leaves of a Victim Nevermore with Stephen Wilson. I am Stephen Wilson, and I wish you the very best. Be a blessing, and may you find serenity. <laughs>